excited to start this new sermon series, and uh, before we get to the sermon series, I just want to talk about something really quick. We are, I believe it's eight weeks away from Easter, you guys. Eight weeks. Yeah, for sure. And uh, God's doing an amazing work in our church. Uh, Usually during sermon series that you talk about money, people quit coming to church. But what we saw through this sermon series is more people have been coming to church. In fact, last week, Uh, This service, like we were nearing 90% capacity, and we've got a little bit of extra room uh, this morning, but it's still pretty full. And uh, what that means is that Easter is going to be amazing with a lot of new people. And I'm excited for that. And I'm asking you guys to join us in praying for Easter. Um, We're going to have three services here, 9 o'clock, 1015, and 1130. And we're going to do something we've never done before. We're going to have three Easter egg hunts after every single service. Not one, not two, but three, which means we need lots of Easter bunnies. So if you guys want to do the Easter bunny costume, come talk to us because we're going to need your help. But we're going to need your help in a lot of different areas. Um, And the reality of it is, is this is an amazing opportunity in the history of our church. Um, Joe just talked about record number of Kids and youth ministry, we're anticipating a record number of people at church on Easter at Life Ministries this year. And um, even if the roads tore up, like we'll shuttle people in, like we'll figure out a way to get people here and uh, remove obstacles. And so we're inviting you to pray with us in preparing for Easter and preparing our heart and our mind. And this sermon series really is built upon that, is really understanding who Jesus is and what it is that he invites us into. And we're going through these phrases that we find in John that Jesus claims about himself. And on the surface, they just seem like phrases. But when you're willing to look below the surface on what's actually going on in the text, it's full of of meaning and full of depth and full of, of things that have huge implications for how we live as disciples of Jesus. And so I'm excited to start today in John chapter 6. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, But before we get there, uh, I just want to tell you, like, the debate that we're about ready to dive into oftentimes fractures relationships deeply. And so I hope that we can work through this together as we talk about um, the greatest cereal that's ever been invented. And I just want to tell you, like, I actually changed the order of a cereal in between services because of the debate that took place. I took out Frosted Mini Wheats out of the top three. (laughs) I took it out of the top three, and I replaced number three, Frosted Flakes. I mean, come on. Frosted Flakes, number three. Number two, Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops, yeah, for sure. The greatest cereal ever at number one, Fruity Pebbles. Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. You are my people. You are my people. The greatest. Now, if we're going to talk about the greatest cereal, some of you like look at me like I'm, like I'm a horrible person right now. Okay. Hopefully I don't offend you. My top three worst cereal. We got to talk about the worst cereal ever. Number three, Original Cheerios. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. I mean, you've got to add, sh- if you've got to add sugar to your cereal, it's bad, right? The only thing that was great about original Cheerios is at the end, when all the sugar was down at the bottom, you know, scoop it, right? 
Number two, Wheaties. Horrible. The only reason why it was good is because Michael Jordan made it good. But other than that, it's horrible, right? And then number one, the worst cereal ever made, Grape Nuts. Horrible. My mom and dad bought me Grape Nuts. I'm like, oh, we're putting sugar on this. And it was still bad after the sugar. Horrible. You might be saying, why are we talking about cereal? Has this have anything to do with the sermon? We'll get there, okay? We'll get there. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be at. But before we get to John chapter 6, we have to understand contextually where we've been at in the narrative of John as he's talking about Jesus and who he is. And what has just happened is Jesus miraculously has fed 5,000 men, not women and children, 5,000 men and women and children. That's a lot of people. And he did it with five loaves of bread and two fish, right? Amazing, absolutely amazing. And we know what happens next. Jesus feeds all these people. Then Jesus says, let's get in a boat. Let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And we always know what happens when you get in a boat in the Sea of Galilee in the Gospels. You go across the sea, and what ends up happening? Storm, right? Storm comes. And so they have to navigate the storm. They get on the other side, and they encounter the healing of the demoniac. And the disciples are freaked out, not only with the storm, but then the healing of the demoniac. It is a stressful time. The next morning, the Pharisees find Jesus, and they start a conversation with Jesus. This is where we pick up the conversation in, in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I just want to pause right there. Because in this moment, if I were Jesus, this is the response I would have in the middle of this conversation. Have you ever experienced either you yourself doing this or someone else that in the conversation you get frustrated and you do the sigh and then the eye roll? Have you ever done that in the have you ever anybody ever experienced that anybody experienced it with their spouse right the sigh and the eye roll and the reason why i think i would do that if i were jesus is because they're asking jesus will you produce a sign that we may see it and believe you what will you do can you give us a sign jesus so we can believe you what did the man just do he fed 5,000 men on five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're like, give us a sign so we can really believe you, Jesus. And he's going, oh. But Jesus probably didn't do that because he's a lot more patient and kind than I am, right? He goes on to say this to them in regards to this statement. Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. 
Verse 33, this is the one you want to underline. Maybe highlight in your Bible, on your app. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life, what's he say? Gives life to the, to the world. What's going on here? There's a conversation that's happening that sometimes for us as Christians, we, we miss what's actually happening in the conversation because oftentimes, to be honest, we don't know our scriptures very well. But there's a mindset, there's a conversation that's going on amongst the Jewish people. And, and, and they slip this in, the Pharisees sl- slip this in with Jesus, and Jesus begins to entertain the conversation and, and bring about the reality of who he is and who he's claiming to be. What's the conversation? Years earlier, as God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, he moved them out into the desert. And the Israelites did something really well while they're in the desert. They complained and whined really, really, really well. And they had forgotten that God rescued them from slavery, rescued them and brought them out into the desert. And they start whining and saying, we have nothing to eat. We should have just went back to Egypt. God's not with us. And God says, okay, I hear you grumbling. Let me provide for you. And do you remember what God provides for them every single day? Manna, Exodus chapter 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they are to bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumblings against him. And so God provides for them in the midst of not having any food. He provides for them. Every day, he provides for them to show them that he is a God who provides. The psalmist in Psalm 78 writes, Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. Deuteronomy 8, he humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so Jesus is entering into this conversation with these Pharisees about bread and manna. And Jesus is starting the process of saying, the bread of God is a bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And he begins to have this conversation about who he says that he is. What Jesus is about ready to say to them is this, is that it's me. Jesus is reminding them that me, the God, the Father, and myself, that we are the ones who provide true provision. God provides true provision. Me and God, we're the one that sustains you. We are the one that gives life to you. Not on bread alone, but on a bread that gives life and life abundantly. He goes on to verse, or the, the, the Pharisees go on to say in verse 34, as they hear about this bread that Jesus says is gonna give life to the world, they say, always give us this bread. And Jesus declares, I am the bread of, what's it say? I am the bread of life. I am that bread that gives life to the world. I am that. We wanted Jesus. I'm he. I'm the one that brings life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. 
You've seen me do what I do. You continue to demand a sign, but you still do not believe. The crowds and the Pharisees were coming to Jesus. They were coming to Jesus to get something from Jesus, but they weren't coming to understand who Jesus is. I want you to think about that for a second. The crowds were coming because they wanted to get something from Jesus, but they weren't coming to understand who Jesus is. I just wanted you to think about that for a second. In your own life, when do you come to Jesus? Is it only because you need something? When life gets difficult, who do we turn to? Do we come to Jesus only when we want something or need something, or do we come to him every day because we recognize who he actually is? And what Jesus is actually saying is, I'm the one that brings provision. I'm the one that actually brings life. Something for us to think about. Verse 37, Jesus goes on to say, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. Jesus doubles down in saying, I am the one that brings life. I am the bread of life. I am the one who sustains life. I'm the one that provides. And I come not on my own power, but I come from who? I come from the Father. He doubles down. Do you, do you know who my dad is? Do you know who my dad is? Do you know where I come from? Now, not only is this fascinating in the sense of this conversation with the Pharisees about their understanding that Moses provided. No, Moses didn't provide. It was the Father who provided. And by the way, I'm the one that has come from the Father. He's making huge claims with the Jews. And the Jews, it makes sense that they wanted to kill him. Because he's claiming to be the giver of life. He's claiming to be God himself. And he's saying, I'm the one that sustains you. I'm the one that provides for you. The Jews got all riled up with this conversation, along with many of Jesus' conversations. But here's what's also fascinating. In the Bible, there's not just a Jewish audience that it's written to. Now, the audience that Jesus was talking to in this story were Jews. But the Bible says that there's another group of people that it's not just Jews that are in this conversation. What's the other group of people that are found in Scripture? It's also the, the Gentiles. These are people that don't believe in Yahweh. These are people that believe in the Roman uh, gods, the Greek mythical gods that we refer them to. And, and as far as I know, none of us in here are, are Jewish, correct? There might be one or two, right? A couple. But the rest of us were Gentiles. And in the Greco-Roman world, they saw things very differently than the Eastern mindset of the Jews. They even had a different belief system about gods. What are some of those gods? It was the pantheon of gods who ruled the world. And this is what you need to know. If you don't remember back in high school, reading Homer and the Iliad, you don't remember that, I'll just get a re refresher for you. But here's the one things you don't want to do with the Greco-Roman gods. You don't want to make them what? Mad. You don't want to offend them. You don't want to make them angry because if you make them angry, there are consequences that come your way in all of our lives. 
And so the gods are angry, and so we have to address the issue by worshiping them and falling in line and doing what it is that they've asked us to do. And one of those gods is uh, Demeter. Everybody say Demeter. Demeter is a Greek goddess in Greek mythology. The Roman name is Ceres, which is where we get our word cereal. What is this Greek goddess? She is one of the 12 Olympian gods that live on Mount Olympus. She is the daughter of the two titans, Cronus and Rhea. Her brother is Zeus. Now it's starting to come back, right? Zeus. She is the goddess of agriculture, wheat, bread. She is very important to farmers and peasant people. Demeter's ultimate gifts are wheat, grain, bread, and life. Now we live in a world where we have so much food that some of us are leftover people and some of us are not leftover people. Like, we just throw food away like crazy. How many of you guys are leftover people? Raise your hand. Wow, there's a lot of you. Good for you. I am not a leftover person, okay? I struggle with the leftovers, just gonna be honest with you, right? My wife, she does a good job of taking care of the leftovers. Not me. I'm like, fresh food, right? But in their world, food was not abundant. And so you had to make sure you had food. And so if you were a farmer, if you were a peasant, if you were someone that wasn't wealthy and you have a drought, is there consequences to that drought? Yes, significant. And the mindset that they had was like, if we have a drought, it's because Demeter's upset. Who messed up? Who didn't go and offer sacrifice? Who didn't worship correctly? What happened? Because obviously she controls agriculture. She controls bread. She controls food. So what are we supposed to do? This is the world they lived in. Ray Vanderlaan says this, believed to be the goddess of grain who provided food, Demer was popular among common people because acquiring enough food was a dominant concern for them. The secret of cult worshipped in a temple in uh, an 800-seat theater complex on the south side of the Acropolis of Pergamum. So, imagine you go, and we go, who are we worshipping today? We gotta worship Demeter. Crops aren't good. So instead of coming and Worshiping Jesus, this is, this is what you do. You, you worship the goddess. Another quote, to stand foremost among humans, goddess Demeter, call her earth if you like, who nourishes mortals with solid food. And the other one came later, Semele's son, who discovered the liquor of the grape and brought it to mortals, giving the poor fellows surcease of sorrow. What is this saying? Wine was created for those poor humans for what they have to endure. And some of you guys go, yeah, exactly, right? young man two are the forces uh, most precious to mankind the first is Demeter the goddess she is the earth or any name you will wish to call her and she sustains humanity with solid food listen to this next came Dionysus the son of the virgin bringing the counterpart to bread wine and the blessing of life's flowing juices his blood the blood of the grape lightens the burden of our immortal misery Though himself a god is blood, we pour out to offer thanks to the gods, and through him we are blessed. Sound familiar? Why does this matter? Because the Gentiles, the Greco-Roman world, worshipped Demeter, the god of agriculture, the god of bread, the bread of life. 
And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, no, I am the bread of life. So choose who you will worship. Choose who you will serve, Demeter or Jesus. And the consequences to that reality, who is the bread of life, Jesus or Demeter? You had to choose. And as we go on and look at the rest of Jesus' statements, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. Claims that are just statements, but when you look at what they had to deal with in their culture, they weren't just statements. They were statements of profound, profound disruption in their culture. Who will you worship? Not only that, but this gospel is the gospel of who? Gospel of John. Where's John when he writes this? He's in Ephesus, an area of Asia Minor. We've got a map here of Asia Minor, Ephesus. You can see Jerusalem, Antioch, Galatia, where the letter of the Galatians was written, Corinth, Corinthians, Thessalonica, Rome, Italy, Romans. These are these places where Christians are growing as disciples of Jesus. And John writes in Ephesus, in Asia Minor. Well, what's going on in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, when John writes this? The Jewish population is estimated to be about 20 to 30%. The rest is Gentiles. The rest is, is pagans. The rest is worshiping Greco-Roman gods. It's a melting pot of society. And yet, if you deny the existence of great gods, most likely you're going to disrupt society. And if you disrupt society and you make the gods angry, I'm angry. Because my life is getting messed up because you aren't worshiping Demeter. So what's at stake? When you choose to trust Jesus' words, when he says, I am the bread of life, I'm the one that gives life. How could you offend the gods? And so Christians are persecuted because they are actually sticking their neck out and trusting God, trusting Jesus in his word and saying, I'm gonna worship the one and only God, the great I am. And what happens is persecution begins to rise up. The book of Revelation, who else wrote the book of Revelation? John. He's writing to a group of Christians in Asia Minor that are being persecuted and killed. And what he's writing to them and saying is, keep being faithful. And by the way, it's not going to get easier. It's not going to get easier. But would you be willing to remain faithful? I am the bread of life. Jesus saying, I am your provision. I am the one that brings life. Even though it may cost you your life, would you be willing to hold on to that? That I am the one that provides. Do you really believe that? For us, the question we have to ask yourselves and ask you, I asked you this morning, is what would you choose? What will you choose? And every single time that we as disciples of Jesus choose to trust Jesus and choose to trust his words in the midst of difficulty, what we're saying is that Jesus is my provision, that he is the bread of life. And for some of us in this room, we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, and we really haven't really experienced a whole lot of hard things, especially not losing our life. 
But there's some of you that have walked with Jesus and you have chosen to be faithful to Jesus and you've allowed him to be your provision in the midst of tough times. Let me ask you this question. Have, you, have any of you ever experienced tears in the midst of following Jesus? Have you ever experienced tears in the midst of following Jesus? That your tears were evidence of your faithfulness of walking with him, of saying, Jesus, you are the one that provides, and I don't know how you're gonna get me to the other side of this in the midst of this time, in this moment, in this season, but I trust you. I trust that you're the bread of life, and you'll bring life to these, these bones of mine that feel like they're dead. Have you ever had a moment where you cried out to God and said, God, I, I need you. I have. What about you? Have you had people say horrible things about you that aren't true and yet stayed faithful to Jesus and his mission? Then you've experienced this. That Jesus was your provision. Have you stayed faithful to Jesus and his mission when people have abandoned you? When you've cried out, God, I need you. I need you to give me life. Have you experienced tremendous loss and trauma and still remain faithful, believing that Jesus was your provision, that he is the bread of life? I just want to tell you this, that if you follow Jesus long enough, you're like, man, it's been great since following Jesus. I haven't experienced any of that. If you follow Jesus long enough, difficulty will come. Difficulty will come. I would argue we've, we've experienced quite a bit in the last 24 months. Maybe we haven't lost our lives for the sake of the gospel. But just to remind you, if you don't know, we've gone through quite a bit, right? Dealing with a pandemic. Some of you have lost some of your best friends. Some of you have lost family. And you've had to walk through that with Jesus, saying, Jesus, I, I need you. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have been had a job for 30 years and you lost it and you didn't know how you were gonna provide for your family. Some of us, we realize that our loss of control really was no such thing as having control. Some of you, especially even the last couple weeks, the loss of the stock market, 401k, and now we have a war in Ukraine and Russia that's potentially put a ripple in the stability of our world and we look and we go, what's going to happen? And it's in these moments we have to ask ourselves this question, is do we really believe that Jesus will sustain us? And we start thinking about all these other things. Well, what if, what if, what if? And Jesus just whispers to us, I am the bread of life. I'm the one that will sustain you. I'm the one that will provide for you. And I will be the one that gives you life in the midst of darkness and death. I was overwhelmed with um, getting ready to talk about this sermon this week as I saw the videos of the planes bombing Ukraine. And I saw pictures of moms in basements with newborn children wondering if they would make it through the night. And to top it all off, to see videos of Christians, Ukrainian Christians, going to the park, going to the city, and praying while war goes on all around them. If there was ever a statement 
of saying that Jesus is my provision, if there was ever a statement that Jesus is the one that gives me life, if there ever was a moment where you could say to the world, Jesus is my God, it was in that moment that Ukrainian Christians made a statement to the rest of the world that Jesus is my Lord and I will worship him and him alone. What about you? What about us? What would we choose? May we remember in this moment and in this time that it is Jesus that provides. He is the one that will give life. And we may have faith in government officials, we may have faith in governments, but I want to remind you what Psalm 20 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord God. Do you believe Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life? I am the bread of life. Here's what's amazing about the Christians in Asia Minor. Talked about the fact that John and Paul and Peter, all these different guys head to Asia Minor, write to Asia Minor, encouraging Christians. I want you to look at this quote by Ray Vanderlaan. It is most amazing that a few people from among the simple Galileans traveled to Asia Minor and by their words and the witness of their lives produced an almost total change in the beliefs and lifestyle of wealthy pagans. Scholars believe there were 80,000 or more followers of Jesus by the year 100. Let's just put that in the reality. Jesus died roughly 30 AD, died, buried, resurrected. 70 years later, there's how many Christians in that area? 80,000. Year 200, the majority of Turkey, Asia Minor, is Christians. Christians. Why? Because they walked faithfully, even though it cost them their lives. Because they believed Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Does anybody else find that amazing? I find it amazing. And here's the thing. Jesus invites us to that movement where we stand up and say, Jesus is the one that is the provider and sustainer of all life. And I'm gonna trust that. Now, luckily, we don't have to worry right now about what's gonna happen, right? We come here and we, we worship and we sing to Jesus and it's loud in here and even though the worship band's loud, like you guys are louder than the worship band sometimes, right? Like it's amazing to worship with you. And Jesus invites us into the mission of loving him and believing that he is a sustainer and he invites us to actually lay our lives down for one another. And here's the thing, we, we get to do that without having to worry about losing our lives. But what we have to remember that in the midst of our, our comfort, that we shall not become complacent. What does that look like? Here's one simple window to how easy it is, how, how blessed we are to be where we're at. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had one of the services that was re really full here. I think it was first hour, I can't remember. And I had one of our key leaders come up to me after service they go, hey, I want to tell you this quick story. Like, it was really full this morning. Yeah, it was really full. And he said there was a family that was coming in, and they were looking for some seats. Anybody ever experienced that when you come in, looking for a seat, right? And I noticed they were looking for a seat, and I just decided. I leaned over to my wife and said, hey, let's scoot over for these new people. So they got up, scoot over, and they said, hey, come, come sit over here. 
they came and they sat and they enjoyed service and then afterwards they talked and and caught up and and sure enough the story was they'd moved here over the last six months we've heard this story right moved here over the last six months looking for a church home they said we've been to a lot of churches small churches medium churches big churches a lot of them are really full like hey that's good you were the first person to see that we were looking for a seat and moved over and made room for us something really simple that says I'm called to love God love my neighbor and I can do that because Jesus is the one that provides for me Jesus is the one that sustains me as we go through this sermon series and we wrestle with who Jesus is and what he claims about himself my hope and my desire is that we would all be a church that grows in understanding who he is and what he's actually inviting us into and ultimately that means giving life to other people and seeing other people I want you to think about this. There may come a a time on Easter when I come to you and I say, can you give up your seat for these new people over here? And how would that hit you? Absolutely. Because Jesus is the one that sustains me and gives me life. As we wrap up this morning, as we get ready to go to the table for communion, I want to just invite you to reflect on these three things. Number one, Jesus is the only provision for all people, whether that's Jew or Gentile. Do you really believe that? And do you live that way every day, wanting to give, knowing that God is a giver to you and that he sustains you and provides for you? Number two, tough times expose our faith or lack thereof. Where does our trust and provision Lay. And so when you're in that moment and you realize you are quick to run and go, worry about this, worry about that, do you stop and go, Jesus has got me. Jesus has me in the midst of the difficulty I find myself in and I'm gonna come to him over and over and over again, believing that he will provide. I talked about it this last summer, we did a sermon series called Forged in First Peter. People that were dealing with tremendous difficulty. And then when we find ourselves in difficulty, it's a way that God uses the difficulty to remove the impurities like a blacksmith does with steel. And in these moments, we find ourselves, we ask ourselves, what is it I'm holding on to? Believing that that's gonna give me life, but it's actually Jesus that does. How can I let go of that? and trust Jesus more. Number three, being faithful during tremendous difficulties with Jesus inviting us into, and it's not our comfort. And you guys, we get to be a part of looking at someone and saying, you want a seat? Because we get to actually show them what Jesus is like. Simple, easy, but sometimes it's hard in our hearts to lay our lives down for others. Do we really believe that Jesus provides? I wanna invite you to the table this morning and as we get ready to go to communion, I wanna just invite you to just reflect on those three pieces and ask yourself this question, what is it that Jesus is speaking to me on when it comes to him saying, I am the bread of life? Do you live that way? And who is someone maybe 
that you know of that is hurting this morning, that you could show them that Jesus is the bread of life? How could you pray for them, people that are hurting, the people that are lost? As we get ready to go to communion this morning, let's go to him and have a conversation with him.